1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've never really gone through bad turbulence. And if I have, I've probably been passed out because usually my, my, go to, and this is like from Glasgow airport, go through the terminal and then I'll hit the I'll hit the bar. I don't know what the place is called, but they do like a really good breakfast or like the best breakfast that you can do in Glasgow airport. So I'll get like a, a bagel or something like that and then I'll get two double shots of uh, Corvassier. <laughs> <laughs> so even and I don't know why, I don't know why but I always book really early, early morning flights. So it was like 6 a.m. Me and my friend Eric were going to Berlin to to shoot a music video.
0: Just the Romeo and Juliet one.
1: Yeah, it was Romeo and Juliet. So it's like 6 a.m. And this guy's bamming me up. Like, Eric, if you know him, we're on the way in, in the Uber. And he's like, mate, if this plane goes down, like, fuck it. And I'm like, because <laughs> he knows me, you know? And I'm like, can you shut the fuck up for a moment? Like, just do me a favor and shut the fuck up. And we got there and immediately, like, I was like, I don't care. I'm going to feel like less of an alcoholic if you neck these with me. So we both did two double shots of uh, Corvassier. We get on the plane and immediately after takeoff, like, I'm good with takeoff if I have those two two double shots. And then once we hit altitude, the girl comes over and I'm like, hey. Uh, we're going to take four of uh, Johnny Walker Black Label those <laughs> mini bottles each and uh, four of those mini wine bottles. She gives me this look and I just look at her and I'm like, I'm a nervous flyer. <laughs> <laughs> and she just starts laughing.
0: So, How long is the flight from Glasgow to Berlin though? It can't be more than a couple hours. It's like
1: No, it's like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so um. we touched down in Berlin and it's like, I don't know, 11... I forgot my passport in in like the tuck in pouch oh. in front of the in front of the seat next to me and these people are speaking German. I've learned German now, so I probably would be able to, to speak to them, but at the time, it's like I was on a different universe. I'm at customs and I'm like, no, 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 like my, my passport's on the on the plane, let me just run back and I'll go get it. <laughs> and they're and then I start like not thinking because I'm also under the influence. I start running back to the plane and then four police officers are running after me <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. Like, we'll get it. We'll get it. And I'm like, all right. Like, um, I gave them my ticket. They come back with a passport. Oh, good. And the f- the first time or no, it was the second time that we were in Berlin, but I got, I, I went through customs accompanied by four police officers. I thought that was, <laughs> 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 probably the hardest shit I've ever done in my life to be honest
0: with you they weren't letting you out of their sight for the rest of the time you were in that airport
1: no and then our, <laughs> and then the other guy Julian who we were shooting the music videos with he picked us up and he essentially had a case of Sternberg beer which is like 80 cents a piece and he's like do you guys want a drink <laughs> like oh god I know I know how this is going to go and I'm not really a big drinker unless I'm on flights. We could spend like the whole time, just me like pished on flights, like <laughs> stories.
0: Well, I remember we were going, it would have been almost a couple summers now, we were going to BBK Festival in Spain. ever been to that in Bilbao?
1: No, I was going to go to it though. Sufjan Stevens was playing one Love year. Oh, it's it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's outside it.
0: Yeah, up in the hills.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, we were going there and the flight, we had to leave at four in the morning. For, we, had to, we had to go to the airport for four in the morning and we the night prior we went to drop off bags at like one in the morning because we kind of been out drink. we were on bug fest so that was the it started off badly yeah. we were like oh should we go out for a few drinks before we go back when we were dropping off this bag and we were out until two and i was thinking it'll be fine we'll sleep it off not realizing that, that we were only gonna have <laughs> yeah. like an hour and a half sleep woke up drunk yeah. and then i had to go to the airport absolutely steaming and it was nah no, never again.
1: I don't know why. I think, it, I think I'm Greek, so we always try to find a, find a deal. And I find that the cheapest flights, I always find myself flying out on a Wednesday, flying back in on like a, like a Tuesday, Wednesday, like that middle of the week, because it's the cheapest deal. But
0: then also the flight times. Night flights are always cheap as well, aren't they? Like every going overnight, yeah. yeah. Which is even
1: Yeah, a red eye. Yeah, it's not good. But I don't know, like last, last like story about flights. (laughs) I did the same thing on a flight because Eric, the guy who does him and humble, humble productions there in Glasgow, him and Casper, and then Julian and a bunch of people from Berlin, we were going to shoot a short film in LA. And uh, I I think I was the only one who flew solo because I, I flew it a couple days a week after they flew out
0: it's a long flight as well. Yeah.
1: I flew to, again, I flew to London and then from London straight to LA, it was like 12, 13 hours. This is the most fucked thing about it. We left from London, I think at like 9am or 8am. And I was boozing being like, all right, well I've got like
0: 12 hours to go.
1: Yeah. And I remember there was this, this woman next to me who lived in Italy But she was originally from LA, moved to Italy. But she looked like she was out of like 1940s Hollywood. So me and her are just boozing. Like she, like (laughs) me and her were like that, you know, and she was old. She was like in her (laughs) sixties. She was like, just going back for a vacation, going to see family. But me and her were boozing. And then I remember falling asleep and waking up as we were flying over Las Vegas, like literally flew 10 hours but had the worst hangover of my life, Ooh. and then when I got to LA and I finally got to where everybody was staying, like we we had rented this house for an Airbnb,
0: it was like 10 a.m.
1: because of the time change.
0: Oh no, so you're it's 10
1: no, a.m. It, it was it was it was we left at eight and I got there and it was like 12 1 in the afternoon because the time change is eight hours. <laughs> so, in essence, <laughs> it, in essence, like it was like a three hour flight, and I got there. And, it was like I had lived a full lifetime and then was like reborn, hung over. Oh,
0: how long were you in LA for?
1: We were there, uh, I think it. I was there for, they were there for a month. I was there for like two and a half weeks. Eric had done this script and it was called Sunshine Periphery. It's done now. We're just waiting to premiere it. I got there and they had just done so much for me in terms of doing like the Topaz music video, Twilight Zone, Romeo and Juliet, all the promo material and like, being with me since day 1 this was like their first big production and they had gotten quite a bit of funding for it and i was like you know what i'm just going to go there and be a be a hand you know if if anybody needs anything i remember doing lighting one day grabbing coffees the other day moving like uh, equipment in and out of the truck you know, I wasn't there. We were there. I was there for two and a half weeks. There was maybe like three or four days where we actually had free. It was not one of the. It wasn't like we were going to LA for a piss up. It was like a. You were there to kind of do a thing. We we got up at like seven a.m. Would load everything into into the trucks. We would go out and shoot all day, and then we would get back, eat dinner, and it would be like midnight. And you knew you had to be up at six thirty the next day. You know. But that being said, like incredible time. Saw so much of California.
0: I always find the atmosphere on sets is quite different to the atmosphere in recording studios, though. There's a lot more tension on a set.
1: Yeah, of course. But I kind of like it, you know, and I kind of, I think now I take it into recording studios where it's like everybody's eyes are on you as an actor. I'm not an actor, but from my outside perspective, you know, when they would call action it seemed like the whole world stood still for like the uh, the two or three minutes that the scene was taking place. And I try to take that into a recording studio because I don't want to be there 20 to 30 takes of the same thing. One, I think it would tire you out and and you would just become repetitive. Going Like going into the studio with um, Jamie Holmes, which is, uh, he used to be part of the the, the lapels. I don't know if you've heard of the lapels.
0: Yeah, I love the lapels. I know Jamie. I've had yeah. quite a few times.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jamie, Jamie, Kieran from Favs, Ryan from Favs, they're all in the studio with me when we're, when we're doing our thing. And Jamie does a lot of the, helps me with the production, helps me with the sound engineering, same with Kieran, same with Ryan. And there is that kind of environment, you know, where for me anyway, I try to do everything in 7 to 10 takes. Like it doesn't always, it doesn't always happen like that, but I think that there's like a, an essence of a, like a raw emotion in those seven to 10 takes that you might lose. Okay. If you're doing harmonies, whatever, I mean, everything has to be perfect, but if you're doing like a main vocal that those first seven to takes, seven to 10 takes, like that is where you need to make your name, you know?
0: Is that kind of different though, because you have such an intimate relationship with each of them and you know them so well? Like on a set, there's a lot of people there that are kind of just people you've never met before.
1: Where? In the in the film?
0: Yeah, if we're kind of going on what well, you were saying there about how you were trying to do that. In the same way, like an actor, you don't want to take too many takes. But if you're an actor, yeah. and everyone's kind of looking at you. There's a lot of people that you've never met before. Whereas in your environment, yeah. everyone that's in that room, you have a very kind of close creative relationship with. Yeah.
1: So I, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, but that being said, I think that everybody on set We were already quite close, but I agree with you. I think it's different knowing somebody's listening to you and you're alone in a booth rather than somebody's eyes on you.
0: Are they even in your mind when you're in the booth, though? Do you even think about them being there?
1: I try not to. When I'm alone in the booth, and a lot of the, to be honest with you, a lot of the the vocal takes that I do, I do solo. Like, I, I have a studio here at home like a full a full studio at home and i i do most of the vocal takes just by myself when we go into the studio i trust uh jamie to be like "Not nah, mate like that sounds like shit <laughs> we gotta redo it you know and and yeah. at that point then i'll do it but i think i it's different on on the album that i'm working on right now but i think with la la land a lot of it was like very very close i kind of wanted to do it that way you know as if like you were in the room with me and I kind of, how do I put this? I, I obsessed over it. You know, I think that on, in different types of music, you would obsess over different things. You know, Travis Scott would obsess over the beat. And for uh, an album like Lala, I obsessed over how intimate it would make somebody feel. You know, did they, did they feel like they were in the room with me? And also, to be honest with you, I met Jamie, pretty far along in the process, I didn't really have the like a studio to go to, you know? And and far along in the process, like I had already done the demos and then he pieced everything together. That man's a genius when it comes to sonics.
0: It's interesting what you're saying though about, you know, that kind of intimate atmosphere that you wanted to create where it felt like the listener was in the room with you. How did that kind of apply to what you're doing with the vocal effects on it? Because you obviously kind of have these different characters that you're creating by the way that you treat your voice. Was that a tough balance? Because you are kind of pushing it quite far in some directions. How did you ensure that it still felt intimate at its heart? That's
1: a great question. (laughs) Uh, That is a great question. (laughs) I know more technical things now than I did then. To be honest with you, when me, Kieran, and, and Jamie would sit behind the desk, it was more so how it made you feel rather than about the technicals, you know? So for example, as we were mixing different songs, I would, we would listen to it one time over, we would take notes. And then I would, I would tell the story. You know, all of those things actually happened. And I would tell the story of what happened and how it happened. And we would draw off the experience and, and what it would sound like rather than you know, it needs this effect, this effect. That's that's essentially me, Kieran, and Jamie afterwards. Like, those are minor touches, but it all comes from the performance, you know what I mean? The performance of the vocal or the performance of how you play the piano or how hard you play a key or a guitar. Everything else is kind of gloss, and I think that in terms of how I would perform the vocals, I kind of... It's all feel, you know, it's not something that you can replicate. And that's why I think that we used a lot of the demo takes in the final product, because I'm the type of person that if I feel something or if I if I write a song or whatever like that, I, I kind of try to record it right on the spot to feel and and to give that pure emotion of what I'm feeling at that very moment of that experience at the exact same time. Because you could say, okay, well, I'm going to write this down and I'll record it on Tuesday. You can, but, and I mean, that's what lockdown's been great for as well, because all I've really had is time. You know, okay, so you think about this. Okay, well, I can, I have the time to do it right now. You know, I'm just going to do it. And it was the same thing with La La Land. You know, but then you were fine and everything like that. But everything comes from a source of of feeling something, and then you put reverb or you you pan it to to make it feel like you're in the room with the person and make it intimate
0: i'm trying to think was it moulin rouge as well that you recorded a lot of the vocal takes between like 12 and 6 a.m
1: yeah how do you know that did i say that somewhere
0: <laughs> yeah i think so you must have
1: you're like you're <laughs> like have you ever watched the Nardwar interview i have yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's some that's some Nardwar stuff right there
0: when you do yeah, I'm interested how that comes about though because it's kind of tying into what you're saying there about intimacy, but is that something that's a conscious thought in terms of I'm trying to work out how to craft intimacy and achieve that, or is that something you come upon through experimentation in a session just rolling into the night?
1: I think with Moulin Rouge as well, I was working in a bar at the time I was okay it was it was in Glasgow actually it was it, it was in Finiston. it was called uh, the Finiston. I lived right across the street. On Argyle Street, so I would get off work at like one. If we had a couple of drinks, like two a.m. And the thing about working in bars, I feel like once you get home, you're never completely turned off. You know, you're you've been thrust into like a super social atmosphere, so it's hard to just get home and, and fall asleep. Sometimes I would go to the gym at like two, three a.m. Come back and record, and it'd be like three thirty four. And that's where a lot of the intimacy comes from, because you're the. It seems like at that time, you're the only person that's awake. You know, there are literally no distractions, even with time difference. Like my my friends back home are probably asleep. Whatever, Um, but then you come home, and you seem like you're the only person awake, and it's so quiet. And that's kind of where that that Moulin Rouge aesthetic came from because I thought to myself, and then there were times where I didn't even record any vocals or any any instruments. But if you if you listen to the song, sometimes I would just smoke cigarettes out the window and I would put the mic out and I would just capture Glasgow at six AM because it was my first time living in Europe. Everything was so still so surreal to me. Moments like that, you know, I still look back on them being like, that was f- like I was so fucking happy just to be there, <laughs> you know, just to be hanging out that window, smoking a cigarette, being like, Yeah, I'm recording Glasgow. I never thought I'd be here.
0: Is that where the sample on Twilight Zone comes from? I and mean, you've got like a car going past.
1: Yeah, cars going past. I sampled trains on like the ScotRail trains on uh Sweet Life Interlude. Most of the samples, uh, it's just like me with a microphone somewhere. Or I, I had a lot of voice memos on my phone that were dated back to tw- 2009.
0: You're still in Canada at that point?
1: Yeah. I didn't, to, I didn't come to Glasgow until
0: 2018. Was that the first time you'd left Canada?
1: Uh, I mean, for vacation, no. But to live somewhere else, yeah, yeah. yeah. I essentially had all these like voicemails or voice memos from 2009. And, uh, yeah, La La Land was just born from kind of homesickness. And then I kind of transported my mind back to that moment where like I was graduating high school and I was like, it'd be cool to tell that story. You know,
0: it's funny that in Canada, you lived in Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Which is New New Scotland.
1: Scotland. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you see any parallels when you come over here? Can you understand why it's called New Scotland?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have bagpipes in, in uh, Nova Scotia. Wow. They're prevalent. The music is like really prevalent. Pub culture, really prevalent.
0: Was it Scots that settled there? Like originally? Yeah, what it
1: was. Yeah, it use? was Scots that settled there. And like even the names, you know, the amount of McDonald's I know, you know, or like the McDougal's, you know, <laughs> that I grew up with. That's where they settled because the Scottish settled in um, in Nova Scotia. In Canada, um, you know the British would have settled in like mainland Canada, and then Quebec was all French
0: Montreal and Quebec, and
1: that's why yeah Montreal is in Quebec, yeah, so that's why there's a it's bilingual because essentially in in Canada, the British and the French had a massive battle on the plains de Champlain. And that's outside of Quebec city and Quebec city looks like a medieval town and it has a massive, massive castle walls around the city. And that's why it was like the the French's last stand and they won. And that's why there's one part of Canada that's French. That's crazy. Fun fact.
0: Yeah. You used to summer there, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's another, (laughs) another fact. (laughs) So yeah, my, um, like half of my family, I would say three quarters of my family lives in Montreal in, in a, a place called Laval. Disclaimer, if you ever go to Montreal and you're in Laval, Laval is all Greeks and Jews, like proudly.
0: Where, so where did they sell from? We've got French, we've got English, we've got Scottish.
1: Yeah, so essentially uh, after I think the Second World War, there was uh, a massive influx of like Italians, Greeks, Jews from, from Europe they came through Halifax actually Pier 21 and they came on like Titanic type ships or whatever like that. Um, and then they would settle in Montreal and also my grandmother actually, she came over on one of those ships and then I think she stayed her first two years in Montreal. Cause that was like the main Greek hub. Somebody had paid for her ticket and she was a housewife or not a housewife, but a, a housemaid for two years to pay off her ticket and then moved to Halifax cuz she wanted to go by the water.
0: That's crazy, 2 years to pay off the ticket.
1: 2 years to pay off the ticket. It's funny like I I spoke to her and my my grandfather about these experiences and I think it, it it's just like anything else, you know, like when we go to uni or whatever like that, it's a different experience. And I I was like are you mad about that? She's like no. You know, I I I, I agreed to 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 do that to pay off my ticket, but also like those were some of the best years of my life. She was kind of taking care of this like, affluent lady in, in Montreal, and neither of them spoke each other's language. Like, my grandmother didn't speak French, and this French woman didn't speak Greek. But she said it was, it was crazy how somehow they understood each other.
0: Interesting, yeah. Well, I guess there was a time that we communicated before language, so it's was probably tapping into something from there.
1: Yeah, of course, you know?
0: I always wonder how people thought before language. Like, because when you have thoughts in your head, they're in the language that you're speaking at that time. Yeah. What do people, what do people think before they had language? <sighs> That's
1: deep, man. <laughs> uh,
0: it must have just know. been like impulsive, like the same way. Yeah, it was like definitely a rabbit instinct or whatever. Yeah. Like a rabbit yeah. doesn't have a language in its head. It's just sees something and it wants to eat it.
1: Yeah. I mean, animals go off of instinct. So I think that we, we would probably, I mean, we're animals. So like, we would probably have gone off of instinct. And then develop language. And I think music is a part of that. Yeah, I think music is a part of that as well, you know?
0: It's storytelling.
1: Of course. You know, and that's the way that I approach it.
0: Is that what you look for when you're listening to it? Or you're listening to someone else's music is a story of what you're latching onto.
1: I mean, not even. I listen to everything. I listen to everything except for country, to be honest with you. Like, bad country. like, Like, I don't know.
0: What about new country, like Old Town Road?
1: Yeah, like Tim <laughs> Tim McGraw type country, you know. Some of it doesn't even have lyrics in it, you know. But I think that it it's just my my approach to it. I think that I need to have a story, I need to to draw off of experience to to kind of create that kind of scene. I think I cuz I think of music and when I when I, I create music, I think of it as like um The music is as like a canvas, you know, a canvas with paint on it. And then like the lyrics put the final touches on it. So for example, you know, if you look at the Mona Lisa, if her eyes weren't pointing a certain direction, it wouldn't look like she was looking at you from all angles. Right. But it's that one final detail, like the lyrics that kind of make it click in your head.
0: She doesn't have any eyebrows though. Does she not? No. No.
1: I mean, that's very twenty. That's very twenty twenty one, though. <laughs> I, she think was got, like,
0: I think we've got too much eyebrows in twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah,
0: people like to try and accentuate them now, don't they?
1: Yeah, but she's got like she had her her eyebrows bleached, didn't she?
0: Mm, I just don't think they're painted on. Like he didn't finish it; it's not done. I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, he's lazy as fuck. Like, how fuck did him. he forget the eyebrows? <laughs> Fucking Alki. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, it's interesting. So, when you're crafting those soundscapes before you put the lyrics on, mm-hmm. are you still tapping into the same memory that they are, or are they completely different parts of you that you're kind of trying to express?
1: I think at first, because it's kind of subconsciously, like you could wake up one day and be like, "I want to make whatever," you know. I w- I'll wake up and and make something that isn't what I'm working on, but it's just something, you know. And then you you make a hundred somethings, a hundred beats, a hundred, a hundred, like chords, a hundred, whatever. And some, it's just over time you start fitting. It's like puzzles, you know, you're like, ah, well, and I do this a lot. I go back through like my archives and I start listening to things being like, man, and one of the songs on the next album was one of these where I listened back to it and and I was like, man, it was pretty much done it just didn't fit into the story of La, La Land or like the 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 feeling that I was feeling at that time, but it just fit into everything that I was doing now. It's it's weird, you know. You create you create something like that, and you don't even know when you're going to use it.
0: And the thing with the story of La, La Land as well is that it's so tight. Like I was looking at it because you kind you obviously have the kind of film titles throughout, and it's, you've kind of got this film imagery going on. But if you look at the way it's actually structured, it's almost like a three act structure. It's a what? It's almost like a three-act structure. Like you've got, you know, in film, you have the three-act structure that's kind of the way the story unfolds. Because yeah. you've got two songs, yeah. interlude, three songs, which the main part of the film is usually 50% longer, I think, than the other two sections. Then you've got an interlude and then a third. But like the way you yeah. kind of laid it out with the emotional beats, it kind of takes on a similar pattern.
1: I mean, to be honest with you, I, yes, it was supposed to be a story... Um with a start and a finish, I think that a lot of my albums will be like that. I hadn't even thought about the fact that it was like.
0: It's funny choice. though, isn't it? These like these natural kind of ways that we tell stories.
1: Yeah. Cause I think it's second nature. I think it's, I think it's subconscious, you know? And I think that, I mean, I'll, I'll put it in a little tidbit, like the, the album that I'm working on, I'm, I'm probably seven of 10 songs done, but it's all about dreams, you know? Um, and I'll tell you why one, because like really I, for the longest time I had nothing to, to draw inspiration from, you know, like on a day to day basis, like our lives are not changing, but then I thought about it. I've had some like profound dreams over the last year. And before all this happened, I ended up calling my, uh, my aunt. She's like, Greeks are super into reading dreams. And calling my mom and, and, and talking to them about it. And they're like, these mean something. And then that's when like the light bulb moment went off. You know, I think even in storytelling or dreaming or any situation that you're in subconsciously, your body's trying to tell you something. So for example, like, let's say people are going through anxiety. Anxiety is your body's like fight or flight system being like you're in a situation that you're not supposed to be into. Like the only time that I feel anxiety is when I overbook myself or when I'm doing something that I should not be doing. Again, it's different for everybody. But that's like just an example of, of, of something, some way that I react. So then I just kind of ran with that idea. And then I, I thought about every emotion that I was kind of feeling over this time or even um, in the past and, and kind of told it through dreams that I had had.
0: Are you able to analyze dreams now? Like, do you unpack? Can you unpack them, or would you have the kind of tools to unpack them when they happen? Now,
1: absolutely not. I just call my mom. Like me and my mom have uh, have like regular coffee dates where I'm like, "Oh man, I had the craziest stream. Like I was in I was in Tesco and I bought like tomatoes and they were rotten." She was like, "Oh my god! Like you need." <laughs> she's like, <laughs> "She's like you need to do your laundry right now." And I'm like, "Why?" And she's like, "You just do." I'm like, "All right,
0: man." I had a dream last <laughs> night where I was on a train. You know, like one of those like, Japanese bullet trains that are really kind of fast ones that are nuts. Yeah. And I was just walking through it and having conversations with like, all these people that I used to know when I was at school and everything and from the past. But I don't know what it means.
1: Oh, man.
0: I don't like, usually have dreams like that, but that was one that... Cause I, it was weird as well because I'd woken up And then I fell back asleep for another half hour. And it was during that half hour that I had that dream, which is why I remember it. Is
1: that not crazy when that happens? You know, you fall asleep the whole night and it's just like blank. And you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to get a glass of water. Then you go back to bed and you have the craziest dream ever.
0: I think it's because you wake up in the middle of it. But because you wake up in the middle, you remember it.
1: I'm trying to think. I don't think it's completely the same, but I'm not going to try to give too much away. But there's a part in the album where I essentially got my aunt to record herself kind of explaining dreams. And I kind of used that as like samples. And she said that, see somebody from the past and you will see someone that you haven't seen in a long time or something like that. So you might have a chance interaction with a friend that you've like, haven't seen in years.
0: Probably will. It's like, it's I'm, like your I'm brain my hometown at the minute. So like, that's probably are, it that I yeah might. yeah need to unpack that further another time jibber <laughs> of uh do you ever of sleep paralysis you know when you kind of have that thing where you're awake but you can't yeah
1: yeah i had it i had it one time one time and like that was enough i had sleep paralysis probably before i was coming to the uk and i remember it exactly i was like pretty much binge watching to catch up on game of thrones and i i remember having sleep paralysis and like the undead king was there like looking over me and i was like Mm. and i just remember being in the dream being like let me loose you fucking mutt and he was just looking at me and it felt like hours where he was just like looking at me and i was just like paralyzed to the bed
0: it's literally a couple minutes as well whenever it happens but it feels like hours yeah
1: I don't know, it's weird how we know so little about the brain.
0: Yeah, because they they always used to say, didn't they, this is a myth, but they always used to say you only use 10% of your brain. But I feel like it's almost like we only know 10% about the brain, rather. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think we don't.
0: I think or Probably not even that, to be fair, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, because they say, okay, well, the the geniuses that we've had, you know, like the Einsteins, Da Vinci's, people of that nature they've all been a bit crazy or have they acted in a way that people just didn't understand because they didn't have the men, they weren't using the mental capacity to understand. And I'm not, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to take like the, the popular route and like uh loop Kanye West into this, but
0: we were both thinking,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I saw, I I saw the look in your eye. <laughs> we were both like Kanye.
0: Yeah. I think part of what's going on with him, there was fame as well. Like that level of fame must fucking drive you insane.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, like look at I look at Michael Jackson. I don't know why, but I fell into like a YouTube hole
0: video featuring where he's Michael the baby out the window Or have you seen the video where he's in the supermarket? He builds a supermarket. Yeah, Fact, he man.
1: he sent, he like rented out a supermarket just to go grocery shopping. Imagine if you had to do that just to feel normal.
0: You think you'd be able to wear like prosthetics, though? You think you will be able to kind of disguise yourself enough that? I guess the voice would fuck you, though.
1: Yeah, but I mean, imagine having to go to that length to feel normal, you know? Like, you thinking, okay, me or you right now, okay, we're going outside. I'm making a shopping list being like, I hope this doesn't take too long. Imagine being in a position where you're like, I need to put on prosthetics or put on a disguise to go get groceries. Like, oh, shit, I'm out of eggs. Like, time to get the disguise on. What? you know that's that's kind of why i i envy these uh celebrities like frank ocean who continue a little bit of anonymity or or you know some type of normal life because it can, like obviously it can fuck with you you know people saying oh well Britney spears for example or whatever 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 these people are having mental breakdowns of course they're having mental breakdowns can you imagine if every day you went on the news and there was just like some bullshit about you. Everybody knew every facet of your life. That's I don't know.
0: It's not even your life though, it's this kind of version that they've invented for themselves.
1: Exactly. It's a they don't even know the truth. They they take one piece of information and then they create a whole narrative around it. And I think that people people in that situation could lose the narrative. They could lose their own narrative.
0: Yeah. uh, You talk about that on the record, I think. Moulin Rouge. um, Thinking he's real, but he's pretend. That's kind of touching on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it has to do with ego, you know? It's all down to ego because, I mean, we all have one. It's whether you can kind of keep it in check or not, you know?
0: Do you have to develop tools to do that?
1: I don't know. I'm Canadian, so I feel like it's kind of built in. We just apologize for everything, (laughs) you know? But also, I'm just like a very personable person. I try to be polite that every, to everybody that kind of comes my way. You could say it's like my way of doing business. I don't even see it like that. I just see, see it as you're making human connections, you know. I want people to see me and have a pleasant experience because that's what I want them to remember, you know. I, nothing really phases me, you know, I except for this one time I had a show at... Um, I'm looking at the the poster right now. I can't even fucking remember (laughs) where it was, but I didn't like how that show went. That phased me. But other than that, you know, people could say whatever and I really wouldn't take any mind to it. I just pride myself on trying to be polite to everybody and putting energy into, into the world that I kind of want to see reciprocated. Is it always reciprocated? No. But that being said, I can then look at the end of the day at myself in the mirror and be like, all right, like at least I'm not a piece of shit. But then it also, it can also get you in trouble. It can also get you in trouble just by being polite. You're like, what?
0: Yeah. I think I found that when I moved to Edinburgh for the first time. Because I lived in like a small village in Aberdeenshire my whole life where everyone was very mm-hmm. open and nice to each other. You say hello to everyone in the street, it's a very kind of community thing. And then when you go to Edinburgh and you went to Freshers Week or whatever, you find that most people aren't that way. And I almost feel like you're, you, yeah. you can. It's very easy to be too open and then get hurt.
1: Yeah, I, that. And then also, I think that people are so conditioned to sometimes take it the wrong way. You know, like you're polite, and then they they think that it's something that it's not. You know, like I, I, and I think that that's something that's kind of deep rooted in, in everything going on in society right now we just all need to be polite to each other we need to take care of each other especially in these kinds of times but then know that it's not it's not for any certain reason it, it, it doesn't have to be of course sometimes it'll be like that but there there needs to be, doesn't you can do something that's helpful to somebody or positive to somebody and then not um expect anything in return you know
0: how are you doing for wine
1: Yeah, I might uh, might grab some more wine if I
0: might go to the bathroom and maybe grab a beer. Yeah, 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 cool. I was thinking when we took a little break there about what we were saying, you know, we're talking about being open and trying to be a good person and be yourself and be honest. Do you think, is authenticity the key to good songwriting?
1: Yeah, of course. You know, because if I came out and I made music and I was talking about like 50 Cent being shot 10 times, like it's not true, you know? And I think that's, that's where a lot of this like cookie cutter music comes from is it's just, it's surface level, you know? And I mean, don't get me wrong. People can make music about anything. I'm not saying that any music is bad music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not true. But, um, <laughs> there is bad music out there, but I I've think been thinking what about I'm that lately, to,
0: cause people always say that music is subjective, but I think music mm-hmm. is subjective half the time. And half the time I think it is objective and there is music that is bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to put anybody down. Anybody, if you're trying to make music, whatever the quality, keep doing it, do you. But for me, I think in order for me to make music, in order for myself to make sure that I'm happy with it, I've got to be drawing from things that I feel are authentic because... I've caught myself sometimes, you know, making something and being, that's not me, you know, if it's not me, then that it's not doing me any, any justice, you know, like, okay. If you, if you talk about it from like a brand perspective, what kind of brand are you trying to build? It's essentially as an artist, you're, you're building off of like you and your own experiences and how you perceive this world. So if you're not honest about that, then what are you doing?
0: Yeah. Where do you think that if you're coming up with something, like you're, it's interesting you said that you'll come up with something and you'll think that's not me. Where is that coming from then? Why is that happening?
1: I think that's happening because there are pressures from every possible angle to make something that's going to make playlists or do this or do that or be catchy or whatever. But then what I found out early, my song that has performed well and keeps performing well as topaz and that's simply about my cousin showing up with the first car that any one of us got it could be a simple concept like that but as long as you as long as you like it's on it's honest storytelling and you capture the the moment that that it was in i think that i'm i'm doing myself justice and where i have gotten off of that is where you know, I'll make a, a beat being like, Oh, this is hard. I start telling a story that isn't from my perspective. You know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it. I really don't know how to explain it, but it's as if like I'm trying to tell it from like the perspective of like Brent Fayez or somebody else. And that's just not, it's not going to do it because I can, I can even tell in like the tone of my voice or the, my delivery, that I, I don't believe it myself, you know? And if you if I don't believe it, then when I'm putting down a vocal track or anything, it's just not going to... It's not... It doesn't have that that thing,
0: you know? It could be useful, though, because then again, does that give you more conviction in the ideas that you do believe in?
1: Of course. Yeah, of course. It solidifies the fact that I just need to keep going on my own path. And I... I was actually speaking to the this about um, about this to my friend Max, aka like Faux, and he sent me his like latest uh, project, and I told him I was like, "Listen, I can tell that you're making strides in like your your songwriting and everything, but I can also t- say I can also say truthfully that it's you, you know, it's you that's making this music. It's not you're not channeling anybody." You know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to channel Frank Ocean or if I wanted to channel Brent Fayez or the list goes on and on, it wouldn't be me. It would just be an offset or like an off-brand of that. You know?
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's often. You know, I have people on the podcast who really they'll come on and make the statement that they hate sharp music or they hate pop music, and my kind of thing with it is if I can hear the. The artist themselves. If I can hear that singular voice in that person, I don't care what kind of genre it is, even if it's done up in that kind of gloss way. As long as you can hear that voice, it's fine. It's good. If you can't, that's when you've got a problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't even like. I don't even like the 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 mindset that chart music is bad. There have been so many artists. You know, Dark Side of the Moon was number one on the charts for a, a record amount of years. Are you going to say that that's not straight from their like hearts and souls. No, it was it, that's just music that was marketed the right way, that was that had backing behind them, and it did well. You know, I don't think that success success dictates how honest music is. That's all down to the person.
0: It is funny. I mean, I think the other thing is that it has to kind of be breaching a new frontier in some respects. That's what usually shoots up to the top. Because you can have stuff that's really great where it's kind of emulating the past, and it can still be really true to them and nice, but it's probably not going to reach those heights purely because people have heard stuff that's a little bit on the same path before. Yeah,
1: that's why I would just tell anybody who's making music, just make the music that you want to make. Like, my golden rule is to is to make what I think is, is dope and to keep doing that, you know, to to push my narrative rather than somebody else's because i think my narrative means something you know i think my narrative of whatever it is it means something it means something to me so that's what i'm going to keep doing it's not like black and white it's all gray don't think that you need to fit into a mold be who you want to be color your hair however color you want to want it date whoever you want call yourself whatever whatever gender you feel as if you are if you're not a gender whatever do whatever the fuck you want to do as long as you're being authentic to you, and then that's your narrative as long as you stick to your own narrative, then fuck what anybody thinks, and you will be successful but that being said, if you want to do that, then you need to put the time in you know what what people do see is when a song comes out when uh an Instagram post is done when a video is released etc et etc cetera, et etc cetera, et cetera. what they don't see is you know, somebody waking up at six o'clock in the morning doing playlisting, doing this and that, emailing people to just be in contact in terms of like magazines. All of that is part of it. This is a this is a business. It's the music business, you know. Is it a hard route to take? Yeah, of course, but push your own narrative and have that belief in yourself that you're gonna invest and and propel your own self like yeah i don't know if that answers the question but
0: it's interesting but at what point do you or at what point rather did you gain a sense of your narrative because i imagine in order to get to that point you need to maybe take a little bit of time to work out exactly what your narrative is and what you want to say and how you want to convey that
1: yeah i mean i don't think that it happened until i got to glasgow i think that when i got to glasgow because the way that i got to the uk was there was um this uh, London label rep who went to a showcase, a music showcase in Canada. She essentially was like, you should come to the UK. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I luckily enough had invested in uh, Canadian weed stocks, which everybody would told me was fucking insane. And I put a lot of money, a lot of my hard earned money in Canadian weed stocks and they essentially paved the way for me to go to the UK and be comfortable and and do that so uh, and I still hold them to this day still fucking canadian weed all the way
0: wait so you sold some all those to, get companies. to the UK but you still have a stake in it oh hell yeah <laughs> what happened why did they show up
1: because it became legalized and now the US is going to legalize it they they gain, there's a, a a long track record i've been investing in them since like 2013 Essentially, like, it, like uh, marijuana is legalized in Canada, it's being legalized across the US, and a lot of it is being used for medical use in Europe, and it's all going under the radar, but this all makes money, and when all these companies came about, I was like, this is a fucking no-brainer, and everybody's like, you're going to lose your fucking shirt, and I was like, well, if I do, I don't fucking care, because... If I lose it, I lose it. You know, like if you could spend $5,000, you could spend $5,000 on a vacation, get pissed in Vegas and gamble it. Instead, I put it into weed stocks and it paid off. Anyway, so <laughs> I <laughs> I like it was comfortable enough that I, at that time, she's like, you should come to the UK. And I was like, yeah. So I got to London. And then I remember going to Glasgow in twenty seventeen to go see Radiohead at the first ever transmit. And I just loved the vibe of Glasgow and of Scottish people. So I was in London, in Tottenham, loved it. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to Glasgow. So I go to Glasgow. That's like the the rest is history. But all it took is like was one person to kind of give me that confidence or like meeting Eric and Casper and Julian where I was in, I didn't know anybody, and I was in, the, like, on Infiniston in this apartment, mixing Topaz of every of any song, and then I get a knock at the door. It's like, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Because I was, like, blasting it pretty loud, and he comes at the door, and he's just like, hey, man, I hear you playing some music. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm sorry about that. And he's like, no, I've got four beers here. I want to hear it. And I'm like, who the fuck are you?
0: That's like someone of a movie. Yeah.
1: And he came in and he listened to it and he was like, okay, yeah, give me five minutes. And I was like, like, what is going on here? And he calls Eric and Casper and he's like, yeah, my friends, they're coming up to the hill. We have more beers. We're going to shoot <laughs> a music video. And that was all it took. You know, it took somebody to one person to have confidence in me. And in my narrative, which was at the time, homesickness, I was like, okay, well, I've got to tell the story of like where I came from. And I've got to tell the story now of like where I'm going and how that happens. And, you know, I've seen some crazy things in my life, but how everything is relevant and how everything is relatable. Everybody goes, everybody has a high school sweetheart. Everybody breaks up with that high school sweetheart, unless, you know, you're still married to them, which you are like... One in a million, and congrats to you. But everybody's going to go through these things, you know. So everybody's going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to break up with somebody. Everybody's going to be the asshole in the situation, and people can relate to that. It's just, it's just real, you know. And I don't know. That's my narrative, I guess. I don't know. But just to bring it in in a personal level. I don't know, what the fuck is my narrative? Like, do, What do you think my narrative is?
0: It's interesting you say that, though, because when you, I'm intrigued by when you realize how universal it is in that way. That takes, that's a degree of kind of, that must shift your perception to a certain extent. Does it make you feel more connected to people?
1: Yeah, of course. But I think that I've always been connected to people. I think that one of my greatest joys in life, which has been taken away right now, is to go into a room that I know no one and just to talk to people. Like, where do you come from? To, I just love meeting people. And I think that the more people that you meet and the more people that you, you listen to, it gives you a greater perspective about how diverse this fucking planet is, you know? You know, I didn't know about Grenfeld before I came to the UK. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, how the fuck is that possible? What, because typical news agencies don't give a fuck? You know, so before I got to the UK and and before I made the friends that I made, you know, like shout out Pappy Moses, shout out, you know, David, and to hear to he, just to, to just to sit there and to as this sheltered Canadian and hear the the stories of everybody that I came into contact with, you think like, whoa, there is a different perspective that is here that I didn't know about and I think that the the number the number one thing that we that we can take with us is like just to listen to listen to somebody else's story to ask questions to not lose that curiosity because I always go into a room and I'm curious you know I love people watching and I love I love creating the narrative on somebody but then I also love figuring it figuring out what the narrative is you know in a way, like Scottish people have like, helped me with that as well. Because the first time that I came to Glasgow, I was in a pub for maybe one or two minutes and, I, and I'd come to Europe to see Radiohead alone. And within one or two minutes of going to, uh, I forget which bar it is, but within one or two minutes of going in there, like three Scottish people, these guys had come up to me and they're like, What do you mean? Like you're having a pint alone? Like, what's, what's your story? And honestly, they were going to transmit as well, and like that was like my crew for the whole week.
0: Would that not happen in Canada too? Though I get the impression that it's it does happen. In a it, way, yeah,
1: of course, of course, of course, it happens in certain parts of Canada, just like it happens in certain parts of the UK. I think Halifax is so like that, but then it, and Montreal is so like that. But if you go to somewhere like Toronto, people will look at you for opening the door for them. Like they're just
0: not used <laughs> to it. Toronto's the only place I've ever been in Canada,
1: and I'm they're, and they're nice people as well. But it's like going to going to London, you know, like people aren't as open as they are in Glasgow. So, what, like, do you, how how it's a testament to how great the people from Glasgow are that they, without knowing you, would would kind of bring you in with open arms, you know?
0: Is London almost too big? No, not at all. What? But what's feeling that in London? Then why isn't it as open? What's culturally kind of fueling that shift?
1: Because I I know amazing people in London, amazingly open people in London. It's the the culture of you're there to better yourself at anything, at any cost, you know? Like this like corporate culture, because like corporate business is like massive in London. It's massive in Toronto as well. But this like corporate in New York and corporate culture, I think has something to do with it. You know, whereas like somewhere like Glasgow, very blue collar in a way. Berlin, very blue collar as well, but like a bit more artsy and and does have that like wanky uh, essence to it as well. But again, you know, a harbor city like Halifax as well, super blue collar. And I I love those blue collar places because people just look at you and it's like every every man standing every man woman whatever standing next to each other is like, we're all in this together type mentality. And that's something that I took, you know, like uh, I live by the saying like a win for you is a win for me. I like that. Yeah. And it, and it happens like, okay, you want to talk about business? I'm a businessman as well. You know, like say you become the next fucking Joe Rogan, (laughs) you know, like, is that not going to benefit me in the fact that more eyes are going to be on, on my podcast with you? Or if I become the next mega global superstar, is that not going to put more uh, more eyes on your podcast? We all have something to gain from each other, you know. So that's why I think that it's so important to every interaction that we have with somebody is like, you know, like we're friends now, you know, Alex. Come on, we're having we're having a drink together right now, you know. <laughs> this is just one for the labs.
0: Yeah, I get what you said. Yeah. We, in the cities like Glasgow and Berlin, you know, the places where this is prominent, where people are very open in that way, is that going to become more that way or less so? Because I feel like it could become more that way, particularly after COVID. Like, if you'd asked me like, last year what I have said in 10 years' time, will it still be the same? I think it would be a little bit less because of the way kind of social media and technology is advancing us. But after COVID, is this going to shift things so that we kind of move more in that direction? of open interactions and approaching people and being friendly in that way?
1: I hope so, man. I hope because, honestly, from all the lockdowns and everything like that, all I want to do is just go to a pub and, like, I don't even care who's there. Like, I just want to make friends, you know? And I hope that people take that that kind of mindset into it. But, I mean, who knows, you know? It's, it's hard. It's a hard one.
0: It could also be, though, if times get tough, sometimes people move apart a little bit cuz going to be a there's going to be a job hit after this you know it's going to be tough for a while long while
1: of course but i think that the only way to get each other through this is to to help each other i, I actually i started doing this uh, last week i started messaging or calling like one random person a day being like yo let's get a call in or how are you doing you doing okay i like that it could it could be like, okay, family that you haven't talked to in a while, but then also friends, family, whatever. Some just people on Instagram, you know? I'm like scrolling through stories and then I'm I just like see one person, I'm like, fuck it, that's my person of the day. Like, how you doing, man? Because you don't know when when one interaction or one action that you do in a day is gonna change somebody's day for the better. I just think if you do that, It's going to make the person feel good, 100%. Two, people remember that kind of shit, you know?
0: Particularly now, when there's such a lack of connection. Yeah,
1: like that time that you didn't think that we were going to have a drink over this podcast. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, okay, let's take a break. I'm going to go get a beer. And I was like, yeah,
0: come on. (laughs) That's because it's like 6 p.m. here, whereas for you, you're like an hour ahead. You're a little bit more into the evening. An an hour ahead, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, 7 p.m., 6 p.m., a a bit of a difference there. 7 p.m., having a drink, you're doing okay. 6 p.m., still dinner time.
1: Yeah, true. Okay. That's a, good, that's a good point.
0: What is the drinking culture in Berlin? Is it quite different to Glasgow? It's
1: super cheap, man. Honestly, I don't know how. Like, I, I got a half liter bottle of, like, pretty good wine for, like, 4 euro.
0: You would be double that here.
1: It would be double. And in Canada, this bottle would be, like, $20 like alcohol is taxed as fuck in Canada. How come it's just, it's just government taxation. It's all because alcohol is governed by the, by Justin Trudeau. Um, and it's really taxed, but that's fine. I mean,
0: how long's he been in now?
1: I think after he's probably going to win the next election. So it's already been eight years. He's probably going to do like 12 years. I think. Wow.
0: There's no limit there,
1: but honestly, good for him. There's no limit. Yeah. And I mean, like honestly, the guy's young, the guy's, like quick witted. When I tell this to people, essentially when COVID happened, he passed a bill to to give two thousand dollars to every Canadian who had lost work a month for like eight months. And essentially that's why like Canada's economy is doing all right. And people would be like, Oh, well, that's socialist or whatever, like that. Well, you know what? Like, shut the fuck up, okay? A government is put in place to, to help people when it needs to, to help people. Like, this is like a... An, an, like, we have never... Our generation have, has never experienced anything like this, you know? So, relax. I mean,
0: not just our generation, any generation, really. Like, even if you look at the Spanish flu, yeah. it wasn't shut down in the same way. A lot of people died, but it wasn't the... We've, here, we've got this horrible thing where we have a really horrible death toll and then a massive economic impact as well we've got the worst of both worlds
1: yeah of course so i don't know i don't know i don't know how all of this ends i just know that i hope that a lot of good music is made during all of this and i hope that people put it into perspective like how how fortunate we are you know that some people, I mean, I think of myself as fortunate because I'm not out on the street, you know, like I'm, I'm, I get to eat a stew after this. I get to drink wine. I get to make, I get to make music. It's, it's not all that bad. Okay. I've got to stay inside. I get to, I get to chill with one friend each sitting. Okay. I get it. And am I hurting? Yeah, of course, but there are people out there that are, are doing a lot worse. I'm not trying to put down what anybody's feeling right now. Everybody, what anybody's feeling is like completely, um, valid. My way of coping anyway is to just, I don't know, like I, I, kind of take this like Kobe Bryant, uh, mindset to, to life where it's like you get up the next day. doesn't matter how you're feeling. Like you put the work in, you know, you make a beat, you, you put vocals down, you do anything, and I think that I've I'm I'm trained tra- I've trained my mind that way or like I have that mindset anyway, which is a blessing and a curse, because it happened like last night for example, I didn't get to bed until three or four in the morning. I got into bed with the intention of sleeping at eleven, but I thought about the delivery of one vocal track that I put down yesterday for five hours, being like, is that it? how could it be different what kind of angle could i hit it from what kind of tone of voice that obsessive nature i think is what makes me me it's a blessing and a curse you know but we're all fortunate right now if you're if you're if you have a roof over your head if you have food you're fortunate if you if i if i'm up at 4am thinking of that rather than how am i going to pay rent i am fortunate
0: i think as well what you're saying there about that obsessive nature you would have that regardless and at least music is a healthy kind of channel for it like if you didn't have any creative outlet that could be quite a damaging thing to your life
1: oh my god i would have gotten crazy i would have gone crazy by this point we've been in lockdown since november i've got i've by the end of it i'll probably have an album done maybe a feature single and two clothing capsules done designed and if i if i'm telling you if i had not done that I would have had, like, a mental breakdown, you know? Because I, I, I'm the type of person that I need, to, I need to always be locked in or with something, something driving me forward. And if I don't have that, it's just my personality that I will, I will spontaneously combust, you know? Like, I, I would just sit there eating stew and being like, and my head would blow
0: up. I mean, it's interesting you bring up clothing there. How... Do you see that like relating into your narrative, like what we were speaking about earlier?
1: I think it, um, if you look at the clothing, it's essentially what I've been wearing since day one. Like, I I grew up skateboarding. Now, like, streetwear is uh, cool. I'm trying to take it in, I've got the summer capsule done with collaborations from five different artists from different places all over the planet Earth. And then, how do you come into uh, contact with these artists? Honestly, it's just the same same way that I do everything in my life, you know, I'm in a room and I'm like, "Hey, what's up? What's your story?" You know, <laughs> like it's the same way that everything in my life works, you know? I'm like your friend and then like all of a sudden you're like, "Yeah, I'm actually an artist." And I'm like, "What the fuck? Why didn't you tell me?" Like we were too drunk that night. I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." <laughs> but then also the only thing that I really do on Instagram, like I'll post something and then like I'll just search for art or whatever like that or whatever I'm interested in mostly, uh, NBA news, (laughs) but like a lot of art as well. And then people just come up and then I just have zero wall. And I'm like, Hey, what's your story? They're like, what the fuck? Like, who is this (laughs) random person messaging on me on, on Instagram? But then some of them are like, Hey, like, and this is the way that I react. I'm like, Oh my God, thank you so much for being interested in my existence. Like any, <laughs> an, any questions that you have, like, please let me know. I'll answer them. Essentially. That's how it, it came about. And I was like, you know, it'd be cool. Like if you, if you had something that you really liked and then I put it on some clothing there they're like, I love that. And I'm like, all right, sick, let's do it. Why we don't have to do it. But like, let's just fucking do it. You know, let's make, let's make skate clothing with like really good quality art from really good quality artists.
0: Are you familiar with their story before you approach them in any way? No, sorry. Are you familiar with their art in any way before you approach them?
1: Yeah, of course, because a lot of the artists that I, I, I work, I'm working with on this capsule. I was already interested in their stuff like a year ago or like one of the, the, one of the people is, is, Involved in like my music videos, but he's also like, like an impeccable like landscape photographer. Or the other person is like Ting, who does my album artwork. Or um, I don't know because you went to you were in school in Edinburgh. Do you know Alice? Alice who? Uh, On Instagram, it's like Alice thirty five millimeter.
0: I don't think. Let me check. Alice Alice
1: Hillwood. Mm. Her her photography is. Insane. Um and I was a fan of her on
0: Instagram before.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean like I've been a a fan of hers for a while and like I don't know, I have no filters, so like when I see stories, I'm just like, oh my god, I'm so fucking proud of you. (laughs) And they're like, huh? (laughs) And and like, you know, I'm just like I am like a fan of people succeeding. Uh anyway, so she was like uh selling some prints. I bought a print, I fucking love it. It stands in my in my room, and I was like, "Hey, like I'm doing, I'm thinking of doing this. Would you be interested?" Yeah, and then everybody said, "Yeah," and I was like, "Okay, well, that was fucking easy." You know, like people, I think people want to be people want to be involved in cool shit going on. It's like being friends with all the like. I'm I'm very fortunate because I'm friends with fucking talented people. So I'm like, "Yo, I'm thinking of like making some clothing with like really good art on it," and they're like, "All right, let's do it," and I'm like that's fucking easy. All I've got to do now is go into Photoshop, make all of this shit compatible and look fucking great. And now like people can wear it, you know, people can buy a shirt or buy whatever and be like, Oh, like Ting is awesome. Or Alice is awesome. Or Julian's awesome. And, and like, to me, I'm like, I'm happy with that. It's just about making making things that I like and challenging myself to create things in a new media, you know? So with the collaborations, challenging myself to reach out and make clothing that is accessible for everyone in terms of price, but then also at a quality where with all the cotton we're using, it's organic, you know, we ventured into polyester made from recycled plastic in the last capsule finding things like that that not everybody's doing it's a bit more challenging to in terms of cost to price analysis and all that kind of shit but like it's fucking worth it you know like fashion creates a lot of fucking waste and i'm not down with that i'm down with making things that make people feel comfortable and make them feel good when they're wearing it. But yeah, I mean, I think the next challenge is for me after this capsule, I'm going to go, I tried cut and sew with the denim jackets. I honestly, I thought they were incredible, but I didn't know if they'd sell because of the price point. And every time I say that, those items are the first to fucking sell out. Like it's fucked up. (laughs)
0: What was the price point?
1: 170 pound. Whoa. 170 pound. But what you're getting is a denim jacket made by somebody who's getting a good wage. Like it was made in a, a an atelier here in Berlin. Patches that were put onto the jacket were hand created by um, this girl, Sarah from Glasgow. They were made with great quality fabrics. And I'm thinking to myself, if it's me, I'm paying £170 for it. But by and large, who is? And they sold out.
0: I think as well, you're probably putting... It's less of a markup in terms of price. You pay... We pay £60 for a pair of Nike shoes that cost £2.50 to make.
1: Yeah. Give or take. Probably more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Probably more than £60 for a pair of Nike shoes, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's, that's maybe a few years old, but still pretty crazy, like the markup on that kind of thing, because everyone's, um, I mean, you don't even want to think about the wages that the people who make those things are on. Like, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I didn't really even make that much money off of the denim jackets. Like, per jacket, they were almost £100 to make. I have to factor in shipping costs. I have to factor in, etc., etc., etc. And I didn't really make money off of them, but fuck, did it feel good to have those motherfuckers sell out?
0: You How know, many did you make?
1: Everything that I make is in a um, everything is limited quantity everything is made in a multiple of six. That being said the the d- name of the, the game is that I make six um, items only for that design and then it's never used again.
0: How many do you keep? Just one?
1: Well I make seven and I keep one myself but most of the time I get fucking Greek and I sell it off <laughs> because I'm like well And it's also because it's so, it's, it's a weird, amazing feeling when somebody's like, oh my God, I'm so pissed that I missed out on that. And I'm like, you know what? Just fucking have mine. I've maybe from the three capsules, I, I maybe have four pieces because I keep, I, somebody, somebody messages me on Instagram or something. And I'm like, you know what, man? I have this size. Does that fit you? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, just fucking take it. <laughs> it's a, it's like a weird, amazing feeling when somebody fucks with what you're doing. You know, you would give them the shirt off your fucking back. You know, think about any time that somebody would message you and be like, man, I fucking loved that last podcast that you did. How good does that make you feel? I had a message
0: for that today. Very good.
1: Very good. So when somebody... There's a, a girl from Edinburgh actually I won't say her name just in case was listening to Love Interlude from um La La Land and that's like one of one of or the most intimate song I think on the album
0: for me Cinematic too though
1: So cinematic and I was just like hey give me a couple of weeks and I will I'm going to give you a google link to like all the new music <laughs> Because if somebody if somebody cares that much for what I'm for what I'm doing, I'm like, hey, be a part of the process. If you have if you have like a critique of anything that I'm doing right now, I want to hear it. I was watching a documentary actually um, on the making of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. And there were stories of like delivery guys bringing food and him being like, like him striking up a conversation, being like, I like you, like, you want to listen to this? And obviously, the person's going to be like, <laughs> "Absolutely," but I don't think that um, I don't think that critiques in terms of music or clothing or anything have to come from people who are professionally trained. You know.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that. I had a guy on the podcast yesterday, and he was saying that as soon as you, he was kind of talking about how there are creators and there are consumers in the world. And he doesn't think that a creator, particularly of music, can ever hear any piece of music in the same way again. And he thinks this is important to kind of give it to consumers before he puts it out and see what their kind of view on it is. Cause it's a completely different perspective.
1: Of course. Of course, because they don't know, they don't know anything that's going on in the mixing process. They don't know anything about mastering. They don't know anything about levels or whatever, et etc., et cetera, et cetera. But what they do know is what they like. Even without knowing, they have an ear for it. So whenever I see something like that on Instagram or whatever fucking interweb media that there is, where somebody's like, "I'll oh, fuck with this," like I'll fuck with them and be like, "Yo, check out this fucking link, <laughs> this new music. Let me know what you think." And they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Fucking listen to it and give me give me give me notes." And they're like, "What do I know?" And I'm like, "You know everything." You're the consumer.
0: What are their notes like?
1: Honestly, a lot of them are just like, oh my God, I love this. But some of them have been amazing. You know, some of them have been like, oh, you know, like, I really think that, uh, I think in Love Interlude, one of them was like, uh, I really think you don't need as many layers on your voice. And I was already thinking that. And Jamie was already thinking that. And when I got into the studio with Jamie, he was like, No, we get to strip layers off this voice. Like, it's going to be like you, a piano, strings, and your voice. And you hear it from yourself, okay? But I've listened to this song four million times in the last three months, trying to like perfect this thing. So, what the fuck do I know? Because, like, your ears, after a while, don't know what they're listening to because you've listened to it so many times. Jamie, Jamie, who is, I think, a, a, a sound engineer, producer, human genius, um, says, hey, mate, I think we need to fucking strip this thing back. And then you have, most importantly, somebody who doesn't know, being like, I think it would be more emotive if it was like this. And you're already thinking about it. But sometimes, sometimes you're too close to something to want to do that. You know,
0: I worry about that a lot. It's hard. Like we just we have such a lack of perspective on our own project as creators.
1: Yeah, that's why I scour Instagram and then if anybody like shares or whatever or fucks with the music, I'm like, hey, like out of the blue, I'll be like, hey, here's an updated link to like what I'm working on right (laughs) now. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, take a listen to it let me know what you think i love doing that that's like that's my main action on instagram is like surprising people with shit i love it that's what it's there for it's not there for me to like wake up every morning and like scroll through being like oh my god everybody's life is pristine right now it's like to to find those people who who fuck with what i'm doing or i fuck with what they're doing and to give positive reinforcement, you know, uh, I think, what was it? Riverside Festival came out with their um, with their uh, artists T- today or yesterday. I must have sent like six messages being like, I'm so fucking proud of you. Because sometimes that's what people need to hear in the run of a day to be like, yo, you did something fucking great. Take that in for a second.
0: Are you able to do that for yourself?
1: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs>
1: Absolutely not. With myself, with myself, I'm like, I look at my planner and I've done everything that I I was supposed to do for the day in my planner, and I'm like, what else could you have done? But that's just that's the way that I work. The blessing and the curse. Where I'm like, I'm up at 4 a.m. Like I have a notepad like right next to my bed, so that if I can't sleep, I write. Or if I I can't sleep and I have something on my mind, like I'll write it down. I'll try to go back to bed. If I can't, I keep going. I keep going. I keep going because for me, you know, I don't think that my brain will ever stop, and it needs to exude what it needs to exude. If it means that I get great sleep for a month and then I don't sleep for a month, that's just how it happens, you know.
0: Well, I mean. What you're saying there as well, though, it comes back to what we were saying about perspective. But I think the thing is, when you show this music to people who haven't heard it before, it's hard to discover that they don't see all the kind of missed opportunities, if you know what I mean. They don't see all the areas where you can improve, which I do also think there is value in being able to see as a creator, even if it does kind of keep you up at night.
1: Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, long after I'm gone, this music will be around. If at the end of the day, I can say that was the best that I could do at the time, I'm happy. But also best believe that the next album will be more inventive in a way, or it might be different, or it might be this, or it might be that, because that's what I'm feeling at the time. And then I let myself, I don't i don't confine myself by saying like, I need to make the next La La Land. I need to make the next blah, 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 blah i'm like what am i feeling at the time how how am i going to how am i going to bring this idea and this story forward and how do i make the best possible version of that as possible you know